Welcome to the Introverted Black Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Shalia Williams. If you're looking to connect with fellow introverts or a person looking to understand more about introverts, this is the podcast for you. We discuss all topics involving introverts and relationships, Black issues, and more. So thanks for joining. On today's episode, we'll explore the power of introverts. Specifically, we'll be listening to a TED Talk by Susan Cain titled, The Power of Introverts. So Susan Cain is a proud introvert. She's a public speaker, and she's the author of Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, and Quiet Power, The Secret Strengths of Introverts. Stay tuned. So before we listen to uh, Susan's TED Talk, I wanted to give a quick background on why I chose to format the episode this way. So for those that don't know, social media does not come naturally to me. Uh, To be honest, I feel like I never really got the point of it. But um, however, however, I have always said, I, I have always maintained that if I ever did some sort of business or something, I would definitely use social media to connect and use it for those reasons. So, um, I recently started this podcast. So, July 2021. So, that's pretty recent for me, at least. Um, I decided I would use social media to engage with the audience. Um, and to be completely transparent, the real, real reason was to, like, kind of, quote-unquote, find my tribe. So, um a lot of times I feel misunderstood and I decided to put myself out there to inspire and educate others and also find a person who might truly get me and really recognize what I have to offer as a person. And so far, I am really enjoying being on social media to my surprise. I'm very surprised. I'm meeting a lot of like-minded people and yo, I'm looking on Instagram and on TikTok, I'm just blown away. I'm super just amazed at how creative so many people are. I spend most of my time just smiling and hitting like, like I'm cheesing. I have literally had times where my cheeks started to get all like, you know, when you smile too much, your cheeks start to hurt from laughing so hard or just smiling like, wow, I would have never thought of that or that is so creative. So, so far it has been way more enjoyable than what I thought. Um, also podcasting and creating videos for reels for social media have been really like therapeutic i would say and it's been really a fun way to express myself creatively however however i still do feel unsure of myself to be completely honest um that's a lot of times where i have these really great ideas but i'm not really sure how to execute them all right well all right, let me back up. That is true. That's only partly true. So let me give you the full truth. The full truth is, yes, sometimes I don't always know how to execute them, but a lot of times I can figure it out. The real truth is my, like, imposter syndrome is kind of sneaking into my thoughts. So meaning I feel like I'm not, like, qualified, quote, unquote, to speak on things, even though what I speak on is my personal experience. <laughs> But somehow I feel like, oh, I'm not qualified for this. I don't have a big enough platform or I'm not 
I don't know, like formally educated in certain things. So I will pull back and not really give it, not really put the full me out there for that reason. It's silly saying it out loud, but yeah, that's the truth. Um, I feel like, yeah, like I said, I'm not qualified. And then another thing is like, who's gonna listen to me? Like, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm using that in quotes, by the way. I'm like a nobody in the social media world. Now, I don't feel that way about myself, but you know, like I mentioned about platforms and things, I'm just not always sure of myself. So, um, also in trying to find my tribe, I realized that it means I need to be much more visible on social media, I'm talking about like online. And that's way more than what I'm used to. Like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm talking about a person who didn't use social media personally. So it's been like, okay, I need to really learn how to use social media in general and get used to it. And then um, trying to, you know, build an audience to put myself out there so people know that I exist and I have this podcast and this new thing I'm really excited about that's very different for me. So, um, like I said, it's more than what I'm used to doing and really more than I'm truly comfortable with at this point. And most times I'm just smiling, I'm enjoying content, and every so often, a little bit of comparison sets in. Yep, so uh, when that comparison sets in, for the most part I do really good, I'm just like, oh, this is just fun. But when that comparison does um, sink in a little bit, I kinda, I lose focus on what I have, and I focus on what other people have. And, and when I mean other people, I mean like some people who are like more seemingly extroverted or it's like, I don't know. I don't know all these people, but I'm like, wow, it seems like they just have a really easy time just like being consistent with putting content out there. They're not afraid to share all these things. And that's very different for me. That's just not who I am naturally. So I say all that to say, I um, this week I definitely needed to get some inspiration and I needed a reminder of all the great qualities I naturally possess and introverts in general, what we naturally possess. So I decided to revisit this TED talk that I found like years ago, just to kind of like lift my spirits and keep encouraging me to keep going on this newly found passion. Um, so wrapping it up, I hope you all are listening. I hope that you all will be informed and empowered as well. So let's listen into this TED talk and I'll meet you back here um, right at the end of the video. When I was nine years old, I went off to summer camp for the first time and my mother packed me a suitcase full of books which to me seemed like a perfectly natural thing to do, because in my family, reading was the primary group activity. And this might sound antisocial to you, but for us, it was really just a different way of being social. You had the animal warmth of your family sitting right next to you, but you were also free to go roaming around the adventure land inside your own mind. And I had this idea that camp was going to be just like this, but better. <laughs> I had a vision of 10 girls sitting in a cabin, cozily reading books in their matching nightgowns. <laughs> Camp was more like a keg party without any alcohol. And on the very first day, 
our counselor gathered us all together, and she taught us a cheer that she said we would be doing every day for the rest of the summer to instill camp spirit. And it went like this. R-O-W-D-I-E, that's the way we spell rowdy, 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 let's get rowdy. <gasps> yeah. So I couldn't figure out for the life of me why we were supposed to be so rowdy, or why we had to spell this word incorrectly. But I recited the cheer. I recited the cheer along with everybody else. I did my best. And I just waited for the time that I could go off and read my books. But the first time that I took my book out of my suitcase, the coolest girl in the bunk came up to me and she asked me, why are you being so mellow? Mellow, of course, being the exact opposite of R-O-W-D-I-E. And then the second time I tried it, the counselor came up to me with a concerned expression on her face, and she repeated the point about camp spirit and said we should all really work very hard to be outgoing. And so I put my books away, back in their suitcase, and um, I put them under my bed, and there they stayed for the rest of the summer. And I felt kind of guilty about this. I felt as if the books needed me somehow, and they were calling out to me, and I was forsaking them. But I did forsake them, and I didn't open that suitcase again until I was back home with my family at the end of the summer. Now, I tell you this story about summer camp. I could have told you 50 others just like it. All the times that I got the message that somehow my quiet and introverted style of being was not necessarily the right way to go, and that I should be trying to pass as more of an extrovert. And I always sensed deep down that this was wrong and that introverts were pretty excellent just as they were. But for years, I denied this intuition. And so I became a Wall Street lawyer, of all things, instead of the writer that I had always longed to be, partly because I needed to prove to myself that I could be bold and assertive too. And I was always going off to crowded bars when I really would have preferred to just have a nice dinner with friends. And I, I made these self-negating choices so reflexively that I wasn't even aware that I was making them. Now, this is what many introverts do, and it's our loss, for sure, but it is also our colleagues' loss and our community's loss, and at the risk of sounding grandiose, it is the world's loss, because when it comes to creativity and to leadership, we need introverts doing what they do best. A third to a half of the population are introverts. A third to a half, so that's one out of every two or three people you know. So even if you're an extrovert yourself, you know, I'm talking about your coworkers and your spouses and your children and the person sitting right next to you right now, all of them subject to this bias uh, that is pretty deep and real in our society. We all internalize it from a very early age without even having a language for what we're doing. Now, to see the bias clearly, you need to understand what introversion is. And it's different from being shy. Shyness is about fear of social judgment. Introversion is more about how do you respond to stimulation, including social stimulation. So extroverts really crave large amounts of stimulation, whereas introverts feel that they're most alive and they're most switched on and they're most capable when they're in quieter, more low-key environments. Not all the time, you know, these things are an absolute, but a lot of the time. So the key then to maximizing our talents is for us all to put ourselves in the zone of stimulation that is right for us. But now here's where the bias comes in. Our most important institutions, our schools and our workplaces, they are designed mostly for extroverts and for extroverts' need for lots of stimulation. 
and also, we are living through this belief system. We, we have a belief system right now that I call the new groupthink, which holds that all creativity and all productivity comes from a very oddly gregarious place. So if you picture the typical classroom nowadays, when I was going to school, we sat in rows. We, you know, we sat in rows of desks like this, and we did most of our work pretty autonomously. But nowadays, your typical classroom has pods of desks of four or five or six or seven kids all facing each other. And kids are working in countless group assignments, even in subjects like math and creative writing, which you would think would depend on solo flights of thought. Kids are now expected to act as committee members. And for the kids who prefer to go off by themselves or just to work alone, those kids are seen as outliers often, or worse, as problem cases. And the vast majority of teachers reports believing that the ideal student is an extrovert as opposed to an introvert, even though introverts actually get better grades and are more knowledgeable, <laughs> according, to, <laughs> according to research. <laughs> okay, same thing is true in our workplaces. We now, most of us, work in open-plan offices without walls, um, where we are subject to the constant noise and gaze of our coworkers. And when it comes to leadership, introverts are routinely passed over for leadership positions. Even though introverts tend to be very careful, much less likely to take outsized risks, which is something we might all uh, favor nowadays. Um, and, and interesting research by Adam Grant at the Wharton School has found that introverted leaders often deliver better outcomes than extroverts do, because when they are managing proactive employees, they're much more likely to let those employees run with their ideas, whereas an extrovert can quite unwittingly kind of get so excited about, about things that they're putting their own stamp on things, and other people's ideas might not as easily then bubble up to the surface. Now, in fact, some of our transformative leaders in history have been introverts. I'll give you some examples. Eleanor Roosevelt, Rosa Parks, Gandhi. All these people described themselves as quiet and soft-spoken and even shy. And they all took the spotlight, even though every bone in their bodies was telling them not to. And this turns out to have a special power all its own, because people could feel that these leaders were at the helm, not because they enjoyed directing others, and not out of the pleasure of being looked at. They were there because they had no choice, because they were driven to do what they thought was right. Now, <laughs> I think at this point it's important for me to say that I actually love extroverts. I always like to say some of my best friends are extroverts, including <laughs> my beloved husband. And we all fall at different points, of course, along the introvert-extrovert spectrum. You know, even Carl Jung, the psychologist who first popularized these terms, said that there's no such thing as a pure introvert or a pure extrovert. He said that such a man would be in a lunatic asylum if he existed at all. And some people fall smack in the middle of the introvert-extrovert spectrum, and we call these people ambiverts. <laughs> and I often think that they have the best of all worlds. But many of us do recognize ourselves as one type or the other. And what I'm saying is that culturally, we need a much better balance. We, meet, we need more of a yin and yang between these two types. Now, this is especially important when it comes to creativity and to productivity, because when psychologists look at the lives of the most creative people, what they find are people who um, are very good at exchanging ideas and advancing ideas, but who also have a serious streak of introversion in them. And this is because solitude is a crucial ingredient, often, to creativity. So Darwin, you know, he took long walks alone in the woods and emphatically turned down dinner party invitations. Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, 
He dreamed up many of his amazing creations in a lonely bell tower office that he had in the back of his house in La Jolla, California. And he was actually afraid to meet the young children who read his books for fear that they were expecting him to be this kind of jolly Santa Claus-like figure and would be disappointed with his more reserved persona. Steve Wozniak invented the first Apple computer, sitting alone in his cubicle in Hewlett-Packard, where he was working at the time. And he says that he never would have become such an expert in the first place had he not been too introverted to leave the house when he was growing up. Now, of course, this does not mean that we should all stop collaborating. And case in point is Steve Wozniak famously coming together with Steve Jobs to start Apple Computer. But it does mean that solitude matters and that for some people, it is the air that they breathe. And in fact, we have known for centuries about the transcendent power of solitude. It's only recently that we've strangely begun to forget it. If you look at most of the world's major religions, you will find seekers, Moses, Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed, seekers who are going off by themselves, alone, to the wilderness, where they then have profound epiphanies and revelations that they then bring back to the rest of the community. So no wilderness, no revelations. This is no surprise, though, if you look at the insights of contemporary psychology. You know, it turns out that we can't even be in a group of people without instinctively mirroring and mimicking their opinions, even about seemingly personal and visceral things like who you're attracted to. You will start aping the beliefs of the people around you without even realizing that that's what you're doing. And groups famously follow the opinions of the most dominant or charismatic person in the room even though there's zero correlation between being the best talker and having the best ideas. I mean, zero. So... <laughs> you might be following the person with the best ideas, but you might not. And you really want to leave it up to chance. Much better for everybody to go off by themselves, generate their own ideas, freed from the distortions of group dynamics, and then come together as a team to talk them through in a well-managed environment and, and take it from there. Now, if all this is true, then why are we getting it so wrong? Why are we setting up our schools this way in our workplaces? And why are we making introverts feel so guilty about wanting to just go off by themselves some of the time? One answer lies deep in our cultural history. Western societies, and in particular the US, have always favored the man of action over the man of contemplation and man of contemplation. But in, the in America's early days, we, we lived in what historians call a culture of character, where we still, at that point, valued people for their inner selves and their moral rectitude. And if you look at the self-help books from this era, they all had titles with things like character, the grandest thing in the world. And they featured role models like Abraham Lincoln, who was praised for being modest and unassuming. Ralph Waldo Emerson called him a man who does not offend by superiority. But then we hit the 20th century, and we entered a new culture that historians call the culture of personality. You know, what happened is we had evolved from an agricultural economy to a world of big business. And so suddenly people are moving from small towns to the cities. And instead of working alongside people they've known all their lives, now they are having to prove themselves in a crowd of strangers. So quite understandably, qualities like magnetism and charisma suddenly come to seem really important. And sure enough, the self-help books change to meet these new needs. And they start to have names like how to win friends and influence people. And they feature as their role models really great salesmen. So that's the world we're living in today. That's our cultural inheritance. 
Now, none of this is to say that social skills are unimportant. And I'm also not calling for the abolishing of teamwork at all. Um, you know, the same religions who send their sages off to lonely mountaintops also teach us love and trust. And the problems that we are facing today in fields like science and in economics are so vast and so complex that we are going to need armies of people coming together to solve them, working together. But I am saying that the more freedom that we give introverts to be themselves, the more likely that they are to come up with their own unique solutions to these problems. So now, I'd like to share with you what's in my suitcase today. Guess what? Books. <laughs> I have a suitcase full of books. Here's Margaret Atwood, Cat's Eye. Here's a novel by Milan Kundera. And here's The Guide of the Perplexed by Maimonides. But these are not exactly my books. I brought these books with me because they were written by my grandfather's favorite authors. My grandfather was a rabbi, and he was a widower who lived alone in a small apartment in Brooklyn that was my favorite place in the world when I was growing up, partly because it was filled with his very gentle, very courtly presence, and partly because it was filled with books. I mean, literally, every table, every chair in this apartment had yielded its original function to now serve as a surface for swaying stacks of books. Just like the rest of my family, my grandfather's favorite thing to do in the world was to read. But he also loved his congregation, and you could feel this love in the sermons that he gave every week for the 62 years that he was a rabbi. He would take the fruits of each week's reading, and he would weave these intricate tapestries of ancient and humanist thought, and people would come from all over to hear him speak. But here's the thing about my grandfather. Underneath this ceremonial role, he was really modest and really introverted, so much so that when he delivered these sermons, he had trouble making eye contact with the very same congregation that he had been speaking to for 62 years. And even away from the podium, when you called him to say hello, he would often end the conversation prematurely for fear that he was taking up too much of your time. But when he died at the age of 94, the police had to close down the streets of his neighborhood to accommodate the crowd of people who came out to mourn him. And so these days, I try to learn from my grandfather's example in my own way. So I just published a book about introversion, and it took me about seven years to write. And for me, that seven years was like total bliss, because you know, I was reading, I was writing, I was thinking, I was researching. It was my version of my grandfather's hours a day alone in his library. But now, all of a sudden, my job is very different, and my job is to be out here talking about it talking about introversion. <laughs> and that's a lot harder for me, because as honored as I am to be here with all of you right now, this is not my natural milieu. So I prepared for moments like these as best I could. I spent the last year practicing public speaking every chance I could get, and I called this my year of speaking dangerously. <laughs> And that actually helped a lot. But I'll tell you, what helps even more is my sense, my belief, my hope, that when it comes to our attitudes, to introversion and to quiet and to solitude, we truly are poised on the brink of dramatic change. I mean, we are. And so I am going to leave you now with three calls for action for those who share this vision. Number one, 
stop the madness for constant group work. Just stop it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I want to be clear about what I'm saying, because I, I deeply believe our offices should be encouraging uh, casual, chatty, cafe-style types of interactions, you know, the kind where people come together and serendipitously have an exchange of ideas. That is great. That's great for introverts, and it's great for extroverts. But we need much more privacy, much more freedom, much more autonomy at work. School, same thing. We need to be teaching kids to work together, for sure, but we also need to be teaching them how to work on their own. This is especially important for extroverted children, too. They need to work on their own, because that is where deep thought comes from, in part. Okay, number two, go to the wilderness. Be like Buddha. Have your own revelations. I'm not saying that we all have to now go off and build our own cabins in the woods and never talk to each other again. But I am saying that we could all stand to unplug and get inside our own heads a little more often. Number three, take a good look at what's inside your own suitcase and why you put it there. So extroverts, maybe your suitcases are also full of books, or maybe they're full of champagne glasses or skydiving equipment. Whatever it is, I hope you take these things out every chance you get and grace us with your energy and your joy. But introverts, you being you, you probably have the impulse to guard very carefully what's inside your own suitcase, and that's okay. But occasionally, just occasionally, I hope you will open up your suitcases for other people to see, because the world needs you, and it needs the things you carry. So I wish you the best of all possible journeys and the courage to speak softly. Thank you very much. y'all so i don't know about y'all but i'm feeling good <laughs> i already am i must have listened to this ted talk like at least four times in one day no exaggeration um anyway after listening to this ted talk it just reminded me of all the like great introverts we've had and even inventions that are associated with introverts like think about that a dope-ass invention related or associated with the introvert is the first freaking Apple computer. They talked about Steve Wozniak. I hope I'm saying this last name right. Um, being an introvert and then he's linking up with Steve Jobs and there we go. We got the first Apple computer. Um, another thing that was another takeaway for me from after listening to this TED Talk is it reminded me of great leaders we've had. I know she mentioned a few, um, like Rosa Parks and Eleanor Roosevelt. And I do consider myself to be a leader. So after hearing this, I'm like, my goal is to remember this and just continue just to be myself, just be my complete authentic self. And remember that somebody is out there watching or listening to me and being inspired by me, by little old me. And um, I don't want to let myself or them down. So. Two things that I want to wrap this episode up with, like two final takeaways I would say is embracing your introverted qualities can lead you to be the person you want to be. And you could do it without much effort because you just embrace them who you are naturally. Another thing is time spent in solitude may provide the space you need to create. Like 
I should embrace being in solitude in times where I'm quiet. And if I, I need to give myself permission, if I need to go away and really get the creative juices flowing, then I come back with amazing content. That's okay too. Instead of trying to just put out something just so that I'm keeping up with somebody and I'm just, oh, I'll put up this post. I'll do this really quick. No, I want the things I put up to be meaningful. And for me, that does mean spending a lot of time alone and in solitude to really get my thoughts together. So one last thing, and I'm giving myself a bit of homework. So y'all rock out with me if you want to. Follow me on social media and let me know if y'all do this, how this little assignment came out. So what I will be doing is I'm going to think about one of my introvert qualities that I'm like embarrassed of or ashamed by. I kind of was spilling it out at the beginning of this episode, but I'm going to do that. And then I'm just going to write a list of all the ways that it actually helps me out. So I feel like after I talk about these things, um, I'll brainstorm how that so-called, I guess you call it trade or, or flaw, whatever you want to call it, can actually help me move forward and be more successful. And I was reading some article. I want to find an article and link it in here. And that's what gave me the idea to even do this little assignment. This isn't something I thought of on my own. I wish I was that. <laughs> that uh i guess creative or whatever but yes i'm going to um, find this episode i'll link this and then i'll also uh link some info about susan kane um anyway i hope y'all enjoyed this episode like i said i'm on tiktok now y'all i'm on instagram and i'm on facebook and i'll put those links in the show notes because i want to connect with y'all in between episodes i'll talk to y'all next week bye bye